We, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. It's, it's been in the news, and so you may be aware that there has been a person who was recently attacked by a grizzly bear uh, in near Fernie. And it turned out that this person, Will Floyd, is a member of the Church of Christ in Grandbrook. In Cranbrook, and uh, he's in the hospital here at Foothills. And so, uh, be praying about Wilf and his situation. He's—it's uh, possible he could lose a leg. Uh, they're thinking about putting a uh, e- either a rod in his leg, or they may have to amputate. They're not sure what exactly is going on there. Uh, if you read the story, he, he was with his son-in-law who uh, shot the bear, but the bullet actually hit Wilf as well, and so uh, hit him in the leg. And so, it's just. Uh, quite a tragic circumstance, and we need to be praying about our, our brother, Will Floyd. So please keep him in your prayers for sure. I would like you now, if you would, to turn in the book of Hebrews to chapter 4, and if you're in a pew Bible, it's in page 847. Page 847 in the pew Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll be there in just a moment. Well, like many of you, and I'm sure this has happened in the last few days for some of you, I had a birthday this week. I am now a year older than I was before. Do I look it? Yeah, yeah, you're saying you sure do. Of course, of course I would get that response. Thank you for loving me like you do. Of course I look older because I am older. I have to look older. There are several gentlemen in our church who actually have birthdays in October. And by the way, if you're if you are a guy who has a birthday in October and you want to join us for lunch, it's only a year away. And so we'd love to have you come and join us next year for lunch. We, we typically go to the, the Encana building, the big building downtown, and have lunch together. And uh, so if you're, if you're an October, October birthday guy, we'd love to have you join us. It was interesting, though, this week. I, like, I went to lunch with Ken and with Jordan and with uh, Colin Hattrick was there and... Juan Ruiz was there, and uh, Andy, Andy normally comes, but he didn't make it this year. And so we, ha- we finished lunch, and then we got on the elevator to go down. We were, you know, like we ate like on the 50th floor or whatever it was. Got on the elevator to go downstairs, and the, the walls of the elevator were all mirrored. And so I was standing there with these guys, and I just, you know, I, they're mirrored. And so I looked over, and I'm like this far away from the mirror, and I looked at myself, and I thought... Man, you're looking old. I thought, you look older than everybody else in this elevator. And I thought, well, that makes sense because Jordan and Colin and Juan, they're all younger than me. But Ken's not. And Ken looks younger than I do. And I was thinking, what's going on? And you know, I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, have I ever gotten gray? You know, like especially over on this side. Like, it's just amazing. And, you know, the, the, I, I have a picture here. This is what I looked like when I first came to Calgary. And um, like that just wasn't that many years ago. And, and now I look like this. And so age definitely does something to us with time. We, we change. We're not the same people that we used to be. And I have to tell you that when I was younger, like when I was that age, when I was 16 or 17 years old, one of the things that I did not think much about was the future. Like I'm not sure I looked a year ahead or two years ahead. You know, maybe at one point I thought, well, I guess I'm going to go to university. So I, you know, I at least looked a little bit that far ahead. But in terms of the big picture, I just didn't look at the big picture at all. And there wasn't anybody in my life who said, you know, you really need to be planning and thinking about the future. And so I didn't. I just didn't think about it. And so things like retirement, like when I was 
22 or 23, I wasn't thinking about retirement. I wasn't thinking about retirement when I was 31 or 32 or 33. I wasn't thinking about retirement when I was 40. Like these things just didn't cross my mind. I just wasn't looking toward the future at all and the big picture. I wasn't thinking about death, certainly. Nobody's when they're 16 or 17 years old is thinking about, well, I could die someday. We don't think in those terms. I wasn't making any of those big plans. Instead, I was like so many of you, and you've heard this quote before. Life is what happens to us while we are busy making other plans. And that's exactly the way I was. And so you look back on all the years, and there's a lot that's gone on. There's a lot of water under the bridge. Life has been lived. But I got to say that for most of my life, I wasn't living it with any kind of look to the future. Now, it is true I was thinking about my relationship with God, but a lot of people don't. And so the ultimate goals, the end goal, is not really what we have in mind, certainly when we are younger. And so we, I, I didn't save anything. I wasn't thinking about how quickly my children were going to grow. But I can tell you, if you're, if you're a parent, like if you're my age and you have kids now that are grown, it is amazing how quickly it happens. Like, like that. Like I remember the day that my oldest son was born, like it was yesterday, and now he's in his 30s. And he has a son of his own. I'm a grandfather and I'm way too young to be a grandfather. Like, I just don't understand how this happens. And so those of you who are younger, and, th- and this goes for, it goes for teenagers like Andrew, and it goes for young adults, and it goes for young parents. If you're thinking to yourself, I have lots of time to be a great parent. If I, I have lots of time to be an example to others. I have lots of time to plan for the future. I can tell you, you don't have lots of time. Because it will happen more quickly than you can even believe. And you'll wake up one day and your hair is gray if it's still there. And your kids are grown and out of the house. And where in the world did the time go? It is amazing how fast it happens. And I hadn't planned for any of this. I just didn't take that long look. But Kelly, you say. Do you have any idea how busy I am? I have no time to think about the future. Well, as a matter of fact, I do know how busy you are. I once had three little kids at home. Baseball practice, several nights a week. Soccer practice, football practice, schoolwork, dental appointments, and a wife who was working full time and who was teaching Sunday school every day. And she has for the last 35 years. I say every day, every Sunday. So for the last 35 years, my wife has been teaching Sunday school along with all the other stuff that she did, working full time. Yes, we know about busy. For years, in addition to our jobs, we had paper routes that we did before starting every day. At one point, our family had three different paper routes, which included a paper bundle delivery to paper carriers out of the back of our pickup. So we would go, Robert and I would get up at 3.30 in the morning. We would deliver bundles to carriers out of the back of our pickup. I would take her home at 5.30. 
I would drop her off, and from 5.30 to 6.30, she would deliver papers with the boys on their paper routes. Then I would come home, and we'd all get ready, and then we would start our day. And that happened for years. And so I actually do know about busy. I get that. I've been there. I get what it means to feel so tired that you can't begin to think about what comes next. Because that's the way life is. Now, nonetheless, despite all of that, it is simply not wise to live without the end in view. And I'm a testimony to the fact The decisions that you make now, even for those of you who are teenagers, have huge consequences on your future. You know, it's interesting. Some of you might have seen those new anti-smoking ads where they'll take somebody who's now my age or something and has been smoking for 30 years and they take them back to their high school and they'll be sitting on a rock wall or leaning against a wall or someplace and the person will say, This is where I had my first cigarette. And you can tell that they're thinking, what a blunder. What a mistake. Because the decisions that we make early on, sometimes they impact us big time. And so we better be thinking about the future, and anticipating what might lie ahead because our stupidity now may well impact us big time as things go on. Well, the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews, I should say, gets this. He knows that thinking about the end goal in life needs to be on the minds of the people to whom he writes. The Christians he was writing to were controlled by the present. They were persecuted, it would seem at the hands of the Roman Empire. They were tempted because of their persecution to give up what they had in Christ and to go back to being the Jews that they previously had been. And so one of the things that the Hebrew writer wants to say to them is, you need to think seriously about the future if you're going to be thinking about giving up your faith in Christ now. And so he tells them a story. He tells them about how Moses and Joshua were told by God that they were going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And so they did. But for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, and they wandered in the wilderness because of their disobedience, because they had chosen not to fully trust God. When he said things like, don't strike that rock, just speak to it, and the water is going to come out. And they thought, well, before we had to strike it. So they want to strike it again. They didn't listen the second time. They didn't trust like they needed to the second time. They didn't have the kind of confidence in God that he was going to be able to take them into the land that they really wanted to go to. And so because they didn't trust, they wandered for 40 years. And even, as you know, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And in the course of the story, she tells the story, the question arises, who are God's faithful children. And the answer is so interesting. I want you to look back. You're in Hebrews chapter 4. Just look back on the the pages before this in Hebrews chapter 3. And I want you to notice, first of all, verse 6. 
Here's partially an answer. Who are the children? And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Who is his house? It's those who continue to believe and to hold on, who have courage. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but be encouraged, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And the question is, will you continue to believe or are you going to turn away from the living God? He asks. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And then look at verse 16. Who were they who who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So... And look at this last verse in verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. They simply did not continue to trust God. And then you look at chapter 4. And this is interesting. This is like chapter 3 is building a case. It's like, a, it's like Hercule Perot. Or it's like Columbo. Or... Uh, and today, for those, those are old images, okay? But for those of you who are younger, it's CSI, okay? Where the case has been built, and all of a sudden, Horatio or somebody turns to the real person who's committed the crime, and they say, it was you! And they spring it on them at the last moment. Or if it was Columbo, Columbo would say, well, you know, it was you who did this, wasn't it? And then the person has to come clean because they know they're totally had. Well, this is what the Hebrew writer does. He builds his case in chapter 3. And then all of a sudden in chapter 4 verse 1, he just turns to the assailant. And he says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stand, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And it's not just the Israelites of old. But it's these people. And then it's these people to whom he writes and says, make sure that you don't fall short of this. Verse 2, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it. What does the Bible say? With faith. They didn't continue to believe. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And so some didn't enter his rest because they simply wouldn't continue their life of faith. And the Hebrew writer exhorts these people to whom he's writing and says, no, you've got to remain faithful. Look at verse 6 again in chapter 4. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as, he, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it's to us that this is written. Don't harden your hearts today. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort 
to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And so don't be like the children of Israel, he says, that Moses and Joshua worked with, but they were disobedient. And so many of them could not enter the rest, but he says instead, be faithful and enter this rest. Now, nonetheless, the fact is that you and I don't necessarily live with the end in view. There are so many times when we're not thinking about the future, we're not thinking about that rest, we get distracted. The things that are in our way distract us from thinking about the things that are most important and the things that we all ultimately will face. You know, I don't know one person in here who isn't going to die. Not one. And those of you who are 21, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's a long ways away. How do you know that? How do you know it's so far away? The fact is you don't. And and I'm 56. I might think to myself, well, I still got a few years. Maybe I'll live another 30 years. But my father died when he was 56 years old. And so I don't know what the future holds. And we need to be thinking about what is in store for us in the long run in terms of our relationships with God. Well, that's the argument that he makes. That we need to be faithful to him. And he turns that question on us. Will we be faithful ones and enter his rest through Christ? And that's a question for today. All of us need to answer. There's three words that I want us to look at just quickly here that are in this text that I just find so interesting and really illuminate what's going on here. The first word is the word gospel. And you'll find it in chapter 4, verse 2, where it says some of your Bibles will say gospel. Some of your Bibles will say good news. You'll also find it in verse 6. It's interesting that he uses this word. He says that Israel had the gospel preached to them. And they didn't hear it. Now, clearly, he's thinking, I think, of gospel differently than you and I do. When I think of gospel, I think of the good news of Jesus Christ, very specifically that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that I can repent of my sins, that I can come to him, be baptized into him, have faith in him, and live the life that God wants me to live. I think... For them, it must have meant something a bit different. There were prophets who certainly predicted the coming of Christ. But gospel here, I think, means simply this. That God has done a wonderful thing on behalf of his people. And for Israel, it was that he'd promised them rest in the promised land. He told Moses and Joshua, take these people, lead them in to the promised land. And Joshua actually has the privilege of doing so. And I think that was the good news. And they didn't respond well to that message of good news. God had, di- had done something eternally wonderful for them, offering them this place of rest, making them this nation of God's people. But they didn't respond with faithfulness. And so he draws that parallel between them 
and those of us who don't respond to Christ as we should. There is an eternal rest for us in Jesus. We have a chance to enter that now. We can become part of, enter into that eternal rest today. But it's so often that we don't. And we need to, we need to think seriously about what that means. Again, there is no one here in, within the hearing of my voice or without the hearing of my voice who isn't going to die unless Christ comes back first. And if that's the case, we better take seriously the call to respond to what Jesus has done in saving us through his blood. So that's the first word. There's great news. God gave it to them. He gives it to us. But sometimes we just don't respond the way that we need to. I have to tell you, there is good news in this. But the good news is Christ. And the bad news is anything but Christ. And we need to choose Jesus. The second key word is, in fact, this word rest. Throughout chapter 4, rest refers to both the eternal rest in which we enter at the end of our lives and the present rest in which we can now enter when we receive salvation in Jesus. And the fact is these rests are identical. They're one and the same. Like you, you come to Jesus now and you enter his rest. And then you go through a transition, really. Like you don't go from having no rest now to dying and then getting your eternal rest. It doesn't work that way. In fact, you enter into your eternal life, your eternal rest right now. And then you go through a period of transition. They call it death. And this old body, it dies and there's a transformation. And I receive a new body. And enter a new phase of the same rest that God offers his people. There's this wonderful eternal life that I will have with him at the end as I transition. And that opportunity comes to those who know Christ and then respond and believe in him. And I want for you death to be nothing more than a transition from this eternal life into the next. So the word has two meanings in that sense. We don't become Christians and do nothing because we've entered into the eternal rest now. We have, in fact, a call on us because God wants us, in response to the eternal rest we receive, to do things for Him, to be His children, active in this world, because He is alive in us. You talk to people sometimes who are retired, and often they act as though they're just more busy now than they've ever been. Have you ever talked to somebody who's retired and they say, Oh, when I worked, it was just so nice. Now my wife's got me doing everything under the sun. They're busier than ever. And I think there's a sense in which that's what God wants for us. We suddenly have real purpose. Life really means something. We have a chance to work in the kingdom. And we need to be faithful upon entering life in Christ to help others grow and build that kingdom. And all of that is part of this rest. And then the last word is actually the word, word. And it, you know, verses 12 and 13, we haven't read them yet. They almost look like a, an afterthought. They almost look like they're put on the end of this section. And so it says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. That's verse 11. So that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience, and then it looks like, where's the connection? 
Verse 12, all of a sudden, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, the whole time just about that I've been a Christian, people have told me that the word in verse 12 is the word of God in the sense of the Bible. And, you know, I think that's wrong. And I, I could be wrong, of course, but I think that's wrong. I think what the word of God in verse 12 is, is not the scriptures. It's the gospel. It's the gospel from verse 2. It's the good news from verse 6. And what he's saying is that God has done something wonderful by revealing himself in Jesus Just as he did something wonderful with Moses and Joshua and telling the Israelites that they could go into the promised land. And this word from God, as he reveals himself, does something in the life of those who believe it. And we need to believe it. And he says, if you pay attention to that, that message of the gospel about Jesus is sharper than a double-edged sword. The good news about Christ will pierce your heart just the way it pierced the children of Israel in Acts 2 who heard the gospel preached for the first time by Peter and their lives were changed. He says this can divide your soul and your spirit. You can become a different person because the gospel is so powerful. It communicates in a wonderful way to those who believe it and allow the transformation to take place within themselves because they listen to this good message and are changed. That's word of God. It was not that long ago that Margaret Tidland passed from this rest that she had here in Christ to the rest she has now in Christ. And you will remember along with me Her confidence about that. Like, do you remember that when Margaret went into the hospital, she went in on like a Friday night. And she was so bothered the next day when she was still alive. She wanted to go and to be with the Lord. And so when she woke up, she said to Michelle Muirhead, Oh, I thought I'd be dead. I thought I would have left this life. And she was disappointed. And it took her some days to go. And I'm sure they were disappointing days for her. She had lived a life of faithfulness and was ready to take the next step in her eternal rest. She had rested in Christ for 80 years since coming to him as a teenager. And now she wanted the final rest. She was so ready. And the question, of course... Are we? I anticipate living longer than my father did. But maybe I won't. Do I have enough wisdom now at 56 to look at the future and say, I need to be ready? I need to be prepared for this? I hope you do. I pray that you do. This will come for all of us. We need to be wrestling with our eternal rest and what Jesus wants us to be. Let's pray.
Holy Father, you've blessed us with the privilege of entering this rest. And Father, I pray that every person here who has entered that rest will remain faithful to you, will take seriously your call in their lives, and will remain your children. Help us, God, that that would be the case. And for those who don't know you, God, we would pray that they would make a decision that takes into account the future. Whether that's today or 40 years from now. Help us, Father, to take that long look and to be influenced by what Jesus has done to create for us a different kind of future. Help us, again, to enter into this eternal rest in you. We pray these things for Jesus. Amen.